Father, I ask now that the Word of God would do its work and affect the change that you desire it to affect. You know how inadequate I feel. You know how we've assimilated a humongous amount of information. We're tired and uh, our eyes and our minds are thinking about home. And I have no idea what it is you want to do with Jeremiah as you put it into effect in our lives. I pray that you'd grant me the ability to communicate your truth in a way that will be gentle, that will communicate how you really feel on these issues. And I pray, God, that you'd give us the minds and the hearts to receive it. All in a way that would maximize your glory through Jesus Christ. Amen. Gentlemen, I obviously am not going to get through where we want to go. Kelly wants us to quit at 11, so that gives us about 40 minutes. And... um, Let me just go to solutions. In spite of Jeremiah being told not to pray, God does instruct His people on what to do. So, chapter 4 and verse 3. The first thing that God wants is a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Are you there? Chapter 4, verse 3. A broken... This is, these are solutions. These are some solutions to the problem. Thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your doings. The first solution is the circumcision of the heart rather than of the anatomy. He says, that's what I really want. Second solution Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Familiar to all of you. We've preached on this numerous times. Boast in God rather than in your own achievements. Chapter 9, verse 23. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glory, glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, says the Lord. Gentlemen, we all boast. We all boast in something. God says, let it be me. The third solution is we seek God's direction and mercy. 
Jeremiah 10. Verses 23 and 24. Seek God's direction and mercy. I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. Correct me, O Lord, but in just measure, not in thy anger, lest thou bring me to nothing. O God, deal with me, but deal with me gently. Don't crush me in your wrath. <coughs> Gentlemen, God wants us dependent upon Him, both for leadership and for forgiveness. We come before Him and we plead our cause. Number five. The four, thank you. I can't count among my other problems. Don't let the prosperity of the wicked confuse you. Now, gentlemen, I've got this reference as Jeremiah 2, verse 1, but I, I know I'm wrong on the reference, so I can't help you. I'll have to go back and look it up. Listen to the Word of God. Okay? Okay. Can we focus in on the word? I know, excuse me, I don't know. I don't know where the reference is. I've got down chapter 2 and verse 1, but I know that's a wrong reference. I read chapter 2 earlier. So I have, uh, I've goofed. I don't have it in front of me. So listen to it anyway, alright? Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I complain to thee. 12-1. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There's a man who bailed me out. Let's get that again. Chapter 12 and verse 1. Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I complain to thee, yet I would plead my cause before thee. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? Thou plantest them, and they take root, they grow and bring forth fruit. Thou art near in their mouth and far from their heart. But thou, O Lord, knowest me. Thou seest me and triest my mind toward thee. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither? For the wickedness of those who dwell in it, the beasts and the birds are swept away. Because men said, He will not see our latter end. This is the same thought as Asaph in chapter, or Psalm 73. He says, I look around and I see that the righteous suffer and the iniquitous people prosper. And I get confused. And then, then the psalmist says, and then I went into the house of the Lord and I considered their end. And it was like Skipper was talking to us earlier. It's the difference between reaping in the eternal and in the temporal. Even though the righteous prosper, I mean, excuse me, even though the righteous suffer and the ungodly prosper in the temporal, we know, if the scriptures are true, that it will be the opposite in the eternal. 
Gentlemen, let me remind you that believing in the justice of God is essential for living a godly life. Let me say it again to you, in case you've got your brain in neutral. Believing in the justice of God is essential for living a godly life. I'm here to tell you that if you do not believe in the justice of God, then you will buckle in the face of temptation. Are we together? The ungodly prosper, the righteous suffer. If there is no justice, when I see it, I will become ungodly. Why not? What's my incentive? There's no way you will live godly if you do not believe in justice. Are you, are we together? Alright. Solution number five is do not become weary in well doing. Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse 5. If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe land you fall down, how will you do in the jungle of Jordan? For even your brothers and the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. They are in full cry after you. Believe them not, though they speak fair words to you. This is the same thought that Paul gives in Galatians 6 and verse 9. Do not become weary in well-doing. Gentlemen, I don't know about you, but I get tired of trying to figure out how to do right. You get this issue that comes in front of you and you say to yourself, now I know how the flesh wants to respond to it. But how would Jesus respond to it? Some guy you know, treats you in an unjust manner and you come up against it and you say, now what is the right way to handle this? How you want to handle it by your instinct, there's no issue. But how does Jesus want you to handle it? And I want to tell you, you get tired of it. And you think to yourself, nuts, I don't care how Jesus wants to handle it. Well, you just blow him out of the saddle. You ever feel that way? I don't care what is biblical. You know, give me the guy's jugular so I can squeeze it. Don't become weary in well-doing. He says in verse 5, if you run with men on foot and they wearied you, then what are you going to do when you got to compete with horses? Gentlemen, the race is not won by the swift, but by the steadfast. So these are, again, some solutions. Any questions or comments?
Yes. Yes. As a matter of fact, it's not God, it's something God does, it's something you do. Now, God will bring breaking circumstances into your life, but remember, gentlemen, that the sun hardens clay and melts butter. And the same circumstance in one man's life can melt him. Another man's life it hardens him. But you got to decide whether or not you're going to be butter or whether you're going to be clay. That's not God's decision. That's yours. Any other questions or comments? You're easy. Let me take what a remaining time we have and give you some practical suggestions, lessons, observations. I've identified seven in my study. Again, these are just simply for your consideration. I'm not sure how many we'll get through. I'm not sure it's even necessary to get through them all. The first is found in Jeremiah 11, verses 2 through 5. The lesson is this. We cannot live in Egypt and Canaan at the same time. Hear the words of the covenant and speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Cursed be the man who does not heed the words of this covenant, which I commanded your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, from the iron furnace, saying, Listen to my voice and do all that I command you. So shall you be my people, and I will be your God, that I may perform the oath which I swore to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as at this day. Then I answered, So be it, Lord. Gentlemen, if you live like pagans, you will live with pagans, says God. You cannot live like Egypt and live in Canaan. Jeremiah chapter 16 and verse 13. 16.13 Therefore I will hurl you out of this land into a land which neither you nor your fathers have known and there you shall serve other gods day and night for I will show you no favor. And I remind you men that heaven is for those who want to live under the authority of God. If you insist on following other gods, then heaven is not for you. You cannot have it both ways. And remember, the object of your confidence is your God. So you got a choice. You either live in bondage and live like animals apart from God, or you become God's servants and do His will. Those are the only two choices you've got. There is no middle ground. It is not I who polarizes it. It is God Himself. Jeremiah 13, 23, I think is instructive at this point. 
13.23 Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Are the leopards his spot? Also, you can do evil. You can do no evil who are accustomed to doing... Actually, I'm sorry, I can't have it. So also, you can do no good who are accustomed to doing evil. Can Ethiopian change the color of his skin or the leopard his spots? So you can do no good who are accustomed to doing evil. A man cannot practice sin and then decide to change. Gentlemen, you live with the habits that you establish in your life. When you move into the closing years of your life and you decide to yourself, you know, I think I'm going to change things. It's too late. You're establishing patterns in your life that you will carry with you for the rest of your days and I might remind you on into eternity itself. So be careful. Be careful of the habits that you establish. If you will take inventory in your life, I submit to you that if you look back at habits that you began to develop in your younger years of life, you're still fighting today. And if as young bucks that is true, I'm here to tell you it gets in concrete by your time, Jim, and my age. So choose carefully the habits that you want to establish because they're yours and you'll live with them. Any questions or comments? Yes, sir. Yeah. God says, let the unjust be unjust still, let the righteous be righteous still, let the filthy be filthy still. Behold, I come quickly to give to every man according to his deed. I think it's Revelation 22, 10 through 12. I think. The consequences. Yeah, I don't know about the habits themselves. Thank you. Yes. It's a question. Can you do good who are accustomed to do evil? And the answer is the absolute. You can no more do good who are accustomed to doing evil than a black man can become a white man. Yes?
Correct. Where is my heart direction? Right. 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 But also, Brick, that the habits that you established that you'd rather not have in your life, that you work furiously at gaining victory over, are only momentarily put to rest. They always loom just below the surface as a potential threat to your life. Is that not true? So just be careful. Be careful of the ones you set in motion. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. 22, 10 to 12, I thought I said. But okay. Yes. I'm saying that any victory that you have is temporary. It's never final. It'll always be with you. That's the reason, gentlemen, that you find a man who is a recovering alcoholic. He may not have had a drink for 10 years, but he'll tell you he's an alcoholic. It's a great illustration, great observation. It lies dormant, but it never dies. Yes. 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 Habit holics, whatever those are. Lesson number two. Do not listen to soothing words of comfort. A man will reap what he sows. Do not listen to soothing words of comfort. You will reap what you sow. Jeremiah 14, verses 13 following. 14, 13. Mirror those pages, Russell, gentlemen. 14, 13. Then I said, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them to speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. Gentlemen, I'd like to offer for your consideration that this is one of the most pervasive and pernicious problems in Christianity. Our commitment to the unseen, coupled with the fact that our relationship with God is one of grace, added to the postponement of judgment until after death, causes us to believe that there is no eternal accountability for temporal sin. And nothing could be further from the truth. We have thumped that pretty hard during the week, weekend I should say, I won't bring it any further. But note with me in Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. Do you know verse 9? 
But do you know verse 10? Verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. But what does verse 10 say? I, the Lord, search the mind and try the heart to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Do you believe that, men? That God will give to you according to your ways and according to the fruit of your doings. God says the same thing in chapter 18, verses 1 through 10. This is not an isolated idea in Jeremiah or the Bible. No, 18, 1 through 10. He takes the first 10 verses of the 18th chapter and thumps that very, very hard. Lesson number three. I won't dwell on number two because we spent so much time on it already. Number three. Faithfulness to God. I had number three. But anyway, whatever the numbering is, it makes no difference. If we get four lessons instead of three, all the better, okay? Faithfulness to God caused Jeremiah to be a traitor to his own country. I want you to think with me on this one. Chapter 21. Faithfulness to God caused Jeremiah to be a traitor to his own country. We're going to look at chapter 21. Follow along as I read. This is the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent him to Pashur, the son of Malchiah, and Zephaniah the priest, the son of Messiah, saying, Inquire of the Lord for us, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is making war against us, Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all His wonderful deeds and will make Him withdraw from us. Then Jeremiah said to them, Thus you shall say to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war which are in your hands and with which you are fighting against the king of Babylon and against the king of the Chaldeans who are besieging you outside of the walls, and I will bring them together into the midst of the city. I myself will fight against you with outstretched hand and strong arm in anger and in fury and in great wrath. And I will smite the inhabitants of this land, both men and beasts, and they shall die of a great pestilence. Afterwards, says the Lord, I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his servants and the people in this city who survived the pestilence, sword and famine, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of their enemies, into all the hands of those who seek their lives, and he shall smite them with the edge of the sword, he shall not sword, he shall not pity them, or spare them, or have compassion. And to the people you shall say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set you before set before you the way of life and of death. He who stays in the city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence, but he who goes out and surrenders to the Chaldeans who are besieging you shall live and shall have his life for a prize of war. For I have set my face against this city for evil and not for good, says the Lord. It shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon and he shall burn it with fire. Now grab a hold of that, men. Babylon is God's tool of judgment. God says 
submit to that judgment and live. Resist it and die. Nationally, this was Judah's supreme hour of testing. I cannot think of anything harder than to have the enemy at the gate and God saying, surrender and don't fight. And Jeremiah stands before the people as a traitor. Here they are, strapping on the swords, bolting down the hatches, trying to defend themselves. And Jeremiah is standing there in the middle of the whole thing saying, don't do it, lay down your swords, open the gates, go out, surrender, let them come in, let them take over, because if you don't, you're going to die. Now I want to ask you, how do you think that went over in the heart of the patriot? What a tough message for Jeremiah. Gentlemen, we all confess Jesus as Lord. That's why we're here in this room today. But do we follow him without price? That's the question. God came to Abraham and said, Kill your son. Contrary to the very commandments I gave you. God came to Hosea and said, Take a whore for a wife, contrary to the commandments that I gave you, and be faithful to her, even though she will not be faithful to you. God came to Ezekiel and said, After abusing him again and again and again, I am going to kill your wife. The apple of your eye. The lover of your youth. And I don't want you to so much as whimper or shed a tear. Not one expression of remorse. Gentlemen, think of the hardest thing that God could ask you to do. And then ask yourself, would I do it? God Almighty took this man and said, be a traitor to your people. Be a traitor. Nobody will understand. Nobody will accept it. Will you do it? Any questions or comments? Lesson number four or five, depending on how you're numbering. Evaluate the word of man against the standards of Scripture. Evaluate the word of man against the standards of Scripture. Jeremiah 23:28 following Jeremiah 23:28 following oh, I love this this is a, a great passage He says let the prophet who has a dream tell his dream 
But he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. For what is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord. Isn't that great? Is not my word like fire, says the Lord, like a hammer which breaks the rocks in pieces? Now, gentlemen, in an age of prophets and counselors, we do well to remember that we need to measure their words against the Scriptures. Concerning prophecy, let me remind you that in order for you to predict the future, one of two things has got to be true. Number one, either you've got to decide the future. Or number two, the one who decided it's got to tell you. If one of those two things are not true, you cannot predict the future. You can give a calculated guess, guess, but you cannot predict it. Are we together? Either you have got to decide it, or you've got to have the one who decided tell you. Otherwise, you can't do it. That's the reason, gentlemen, why the prophets in the Bible had to bat a thousand. They were never allowed a margin of error. One mistake, God says, kill them. Because my prophets never miss. And the reason is, God says, I never miss. Therefore, if he said it comes about, it had better come about. And if it doesn't come about, you take him out and stone him. Because he did not come from me, he came from somewhere else. The word of man is valid only to the degree that it is consistent with the word of God. Now, gentlemen, let us never forget that. What I think is nothing but gaseous babblings. It is what God thinks. Jeremiah 23, we'll pick it up at verse 30. We left it off at verse 29. Let's read on. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who use their tongues and say, thus says the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, says the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness. When I did not send them or charge them, so they do not profit this people at all, says the Lord. Only those who are faithful to the word of God will survive. Now this is so important that I want you to look at one more passage with me on this. Chapter 27 and beginning at verse 16. Just turn right for a couple pages. Twenty-seven, sixteen. Then I spoke to the priests and to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Do not listen to the words of your prophets who are prophesying to you, saying, Behold, the vessels of the Lord's house will now shortly be brought back from Babylon. It is a lie which they are prophesying to you. Do not listen to them. Serve the king of Babylon and live. Why should this city become a desolation? Gentlemen, Never commit God to what He has not promised. Never, ever commit God to what He has not promised. A friend of mine was in a meeting in which a man stood up and said, I have a word from God. 
And he singled out my friend who has an autistic son and said, your son will be healed, says the Lord. My friend asked me about that. What do you think, Henriksen, he said. So we looked at chapter 28 and verse 9. Turn with me to 28, 9. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. I said, friend, when your son is healed, then you know he's a man of God. Until then, you wait. But there's something very insidious about that, gentlemen. You see, a rebuttal to it not coming to pass can easily be thrown off by saying, it's in the future. God will do it in his timing. And so my friend sits and waits, and waits, and waits, and waits, filled with false expectation as he waits still longer, and waits some more. Let's go back to Jeremiah 27. Good question. Understand, gentlemen, that the prophet of God may put a condition on it and say, if you believe me, it will come to pass. If you don't, it won't. But most of the time, the prophet says, thus says the Lord, this will happen, which is the case in this instance. Now, if he had said, you must believe it in order for it to come to pass, that makes it even more devious. Because now he's saying, that if your son continues with his problem, it's your fault. Right. Right. But as our speaker pointed out to us earlier, it is not the quantity of your faith, but the object of your faith that determines its validity. So I can go out here in the spring of the year, and there is a thin sheet of ice on the pond. And I say to you, will it hold me? And you say, I don't believe so. And I say, oh, ye of little faith, let me show you. And I've got great faith. But does the ice hold? And your answer is, yeah. But see, in your heart of hearts, you're big in the issue. You know. You know exactly what's going to happen. Yes? Exactly. And that's the point. Right. Do not commit God to what God has not promised. Exactly. That's the, that's the, that is the thing that is, makes that so damning. So are, are you saying that there is no extra 
curricular prophecy that comes can come to pass that is not specifically laid out in Scripture? I'm saying to you that if you want to be God's prophet, be my guest, but plan on batting a thousand if you don't want to get in trouble. Right, because he still waits. Because what he does is he frames it like he says in Jeremiah 28. He frames it in such a way that he takes himself off the hook. Did, 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 did the prophets have the Never did that. They no, sir. They, gave David time. they told him exactly what was going to happen. I'm not suggesting to you that I can tell you the difference. I'm saying to you, be careful, TJ. Be careful that you don't commit God to what he's not promised. I want to elaborate on that in verses 18 to 22. Jeremiah 27, 18 to 22. If they are prophets, and if the word of the Lord is with them, then let them intercede with the Lord of hosts that the vessels which are left in the house of the Lord, in the house of the king of Judah, and in Jerusalem may not go to Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the pillars and the sea and the stands and the rest of the vessels which are left in the city, which Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon did not take away when he took into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, Jeconiah the son of Jehoiakim king of Judah and all the nobles of Judah in Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels which are left in the house of the Lord, in the house of the king of Judah, and in Jerusalem. They shall be carried into Babylon and remain there until the day when I give attention to them, says the Lord. Then I will bring them back and restore them to this place. Gentlemen, it is better not to commit God to something than to committing for it when he hasn't promised. But God says, if you want to, then pray. So he says up in verse 18, Let them intercede with the Lord of hosts that the vessels which are left in the house of the Lord shall not go down to Babylon. I invite you to do that. Pray about that. I ask God to do it. Now, he says down in verse 22, he says, I'm not going to answer them. I'm going to go take them down there. But no harm is done. But at least you're not committing me. I don't mind you praying about it if you want to pray about it. Because then you're not obligating me. So pray, he says. Pray that I won't do it. The truth of the matter is, I'm going to do it, but no harm is done. Now, God spends two chapters, 28 and 29, condemning those who commit God to what God has not promised. Skipper.
the, the comment is it's not a question or an answer. It's a suggestion. Don't commit God to what He's not promised. If you want to get involved, intercede to God on behalf of what you want to take place. God may or may not do it, but no harm is done. But He does not take kindly to your functioning as His prophet when He has not so designated you. Right. It's obvious in James chapter 5, he tells us to pray for the sick, that they may be healed. But we're not committing God at that point. We're not making any promises to the sick person. Correct. Brick? (laughs) There's a difference between my feeling God has given me a promise and acting on it. On the one hand, Am I feeling God has given me a promise and asking you to act on it on the other? The latter is what produces the David Korishes and the Davidians. Now, if God gives you a specific promise and asks you to act on it, that's a commitment of faith. But you got to understand, gentlemen, that the promises of God were never given so that we can get God to do what we want. The promises of God were given so that God could get us to do what He wants. So when you claim the promises of God, be careful. Be very, very careful that you're not manipulating and leveraging God. Yes. I know of no prophets today, period. Any other questions or comments? Yes, Jeff. Let me make, yes, I think that's very valid. But let me make an observation, and with this we're going to quit because we want to, we're going to wrap things up. Gentlemen, there is a difference between expectation and anticipation. Jeff, your wife comes to you and says, sweetheart, what would you like for your birthday? And you would say, give me, new sport coat. She says, oh, And she comes back later on and she says, uh, what color would you like it to be? And you say, great. And then she comes back later and she says, do you want that double-breasted or or single-breasted? And you say, single-breasted. Now, it comes your birthday. Do you have reason to anticipate a gray sport coat with a single breast? Yes or no? Is it legitimate for you to expect it? 
Is it legitimate for you to expect it? I suggest to you the answer to that is categorically no. Expectations are valid only on the basis of a promise. There is a difference between anticipating and expecting. And there are many times when we anticipate God doing great and marvelous things, but to cross that line of expectation will lead you down a path you do not want to go. That gentleman gets all of us in more trouble in our interpersonal relationships, God not included in the equation, than a lot of other things. We move anticipation to expectation and get ourselves bruised in the process. So don't do it. That, that was the difference. I, can, I anticipate something happened, but I don't expect it. See, for him to expect the sport coat is an unrealistic, unfounded expectation because no promise was made. It may very well have been that his wife was just simply leading him off of this path because she knows he senses very easily where it is she's going. Yeah, we're going to quit here, TJ. Go ahead. The gift of prophecy as a, as a, as a foretelling of the future as it differs from the gift of prophecy in the body. Yeah. The, we, we make the distinction between foretelling and foretelling. Gentlemen, I do not argue with the distinction. I simply don't find it in the Bible. Thank you very much. Do you want me to do that, Gail? I know he's not, but... But... Next to the Bible, he's the closest thing to authority we got. Yes. Okay. The fourth observation or lesson is that God will use you for good or for evil. The choice is yours. Okay. Whatever number it is. God will use you for good or for evil. The choice is yours. Yes. You get to decide. Jeremiah 25, 11 following. Next lesson. Don't ask for God's will unless you plan on doing it. Jeremiah 42, verses 1 following. Forty-two, one following. Next lesson. God will keep His promises. Jeremiah 31, 31 following.
God will, will keep His promises. Jeremiah 31, 31 following. And then finally, rebellion causes us to be blinded to the cause effect of what God is doing. Rebellion causes us to be blinded to the cause effect of what God is doing. Jeremiah 44, 15 following. 44, 15 following. Rebellion causes us to be blinded to the cause effect of what God is doing. Gentlemen, let me just remind you in closing here that the people in Jeremiah's day did not heed his word. Later, Israel recognized Jeremiah to be a prophet of God and still did not heed Jeremiah's word. And so it is this day. We acknowledge the Bible to be the word of God and refuse to obey it.